Welcome to Parents Perspective. Mom, 11-year-old Misha called from the hall closet. Have you seen my backpack? Not recently, came his mom's voice from the video screen by the door. Have you tried Graham's apartment? Oh, yeah, Misha replied, grabbing his lunch from the dumbwaiter in the hall. I was down there last night doing my homework. Okay, but get it quickly, his mom reminded him, because I know Graham's headed for her classes today, and the tram picks her up very early. Got it, Misha called, pressing his palm against the front door to activate the lock release. See you later. This was not a scene from an old Jetsons cartoon, but it could be a glimpse of what's to come for the future of the American family. From a parent's perspective, what changes can we expect for the American family of the future, and what transformations are already underway? I'm Sandy Burt. And I'm Linda Perlis. Our guests come to this topic from very different perspectives. Micah Saub is Principal Attorney at Lipman Semsker & Saub, LLC, in Bethesda, Maryland. His practice focuses on estate planning and probate law for middle-class and high-net-worth families, closely-held business planning, family trust planning, and planning for artists and collectors. He also directs the firm's work in its employment law, business formation and disputes, educational law, and domestic relations practice areas. Lipman, Semsker, and Saub offers a broad range of services tending to the needs of families and small business, with a substantial portion of the firm's practice serving gay and lesbian families. Mr. Saub has extensive litigation and appellate experience, including successfully arguing numerous cases before the United States Courts of Appeals, federal district courts, and state courts. Mr. Saub also coordinates the firm's pro bono service, including making grants and donations of legal services. Micah serves on the board of directors of Adventure Theater in Glen Echo, Maryland. He's the father of a young daughter. Welcome to Parents Perspective, Micah. I'm so happy to join you. John B. Mahaffey, co-founder and principal, Leading Futurists, LLC, is a futurist who speaks, writes, and consults with organizations on how to understand and succeed as society and the world change. Originally trained as an archaeologist, John has trained his sights on the future since 1987. He has a successful track record of offering thoughtful early insights on change to his clients. He shares his experience in exploring the future through a blog on Foresight, www.foresightculture.com. The father of two teenage boys, John spends considerable spare time on the sidelines at soccer and basketball games and track meets. Welcome to Parents Perspective, John. Great to be with you. From your perspectives, what are some of the ongoing challenges to families that perhaps our parents' generations didn't experience? Well, let me just say a little bit about that. I think most people are already feeling it, and they know this, but uh, maybe have not stepped back and thought about it much. We have almost daily things that come into the family, into family life, that are new and different and not fully understood and hard to sort out. I think so many of the technological changes that we've faced, we haven't grown into them yet. We haven't figured out how to put them in a balanced way into our families. And a perfect example is what I call digital life, you know, the life of being always on, always online, always in touch, and so on. So parents want to monitor their children. The children resent that naturally. Uh, we don't know whether we're going to tolerate texting while at the family dinner table. 
The answer is no, by the way. Uh, <laughs> we don't know what it means to friend our children or have them friend us on Facebook. We're still sorting all these things out. So the family, I wouldn't say, is under assault, but is greatly under challenge by a whole lot of new things. I think that along the same lines, the amount of distraction that we all face primarily from technology, but not only. There's a lot of entertainment, a lot of sales, a lot of constantly being connected to our workplaces, our clients and customers and bosses and subordinates all expect us to be available constantly. Of course, this is very similar to what John was saying. And I think that this becomes very difficult to parse for people. And it also, of course, means that the family is spending less time with each other. I think about myself sitting at home in front of the TV with my spouse. Watching? No. Listening to the TV while I work on my computer. And we have very little conversation as a result. We have all become multitaskers almost to distraction at this point. No question about it. Just as we settle in with some of that, more comes, and we don't know exactly what to do about it. It used to be a distracted parent might sit near the children, and they would be doing whatever children are supposed to do. Now the children have the technology as well as the parents, and we've had, almost to the point of silliness, had times when my two sons, my wife and I, are sitting all in our family room, all with a laptop open, possibly with a game running on television at the same time. And... We sometimes catch ourselves and laugh at ourselves for that, and yet we can't seem to, to back off from it. It seems to have become part of life. Some thinker, and I think I have this phrase right, has talked about continuous partial attention, meaning that it isn't the full paying attention. It isn't necessarily a very deep attention being paid to whatever it is we're doing. So multitasking is about paying attention to more things less well. And that seems to be at the core of this problem of continuous distraction. The result, I think, is that we understand each other so much less. Now, interestingly, certainly over the last 50 years or so, uh, there has been an awful lot of intergenerational misunderstanding and differences of perspective. Prior to that time, for a few thousand years, the generations were perhaps a little bit less at odds, had perhaps a little better understanding one to the other. But it seems that because we spend so much time with technology now, because we spend so much time not focused on each other, but focused on our own pursuits and so on, that we have far less conversation with each other and far less understanding of each other, of our children, of our parents, of our siblings. And I think that that ultimately weakens the family. So ironically, we've got all these new tools for communication, Facebook and the Internet's general resources. For that matter, a divorcing family who find it difficult to communicate with each other can use Internet websites that allow them to pass messages on to each other rather than having to send email or text messages directly. And it helps them to, to moderate their communications. But despite all these things that should be helping us to communicate, it seems that we lack the most important thing, which is the one-on-one, -on -one, slow and unrushed conversation. We'll take a short break now and be right back to continue our discussion about the future of the family. The popular book, Raising a Successful Child, Discover and Nurture Your Child's Talents, 
by Sandra Burt and Linda Perlis is available at all major bookstores and on the web. Welcome back to Parents Perspective. We are talking with Micah Saub and John Mahaffey about the future of the family. I almost feel like I'm watching a movie. Is it that the pace of change is speeding up? I mean, we've always had change, but now we're having at a more rapid rate, so we're always sort of trying to keep up with it and figure out how it connects in our lives. I think that's a very fair assessment. I think that certainly it feels that way, and that's all that really matters. New things all the time. One of the most stable things we have is what we think a family is and what we think family life is all about and should be all about. That changes more slowly than all the things that are forcing their way into change it. So you hate to say let go of that, but I have to make an argument that we have to rebalance our sense of family, our concept of family with current realities. And what that means, I think, is to get right what Micah points out we're not getting right, which is to find how we can restore those conversations, for example, the sense of true understanding, push the technology into a small place where it does daily work for us but doesn't overtake our lives and let it be a good thing rather than a bad thing. I'll give an example. The best I've seen Facebook do is reconnect old friends, deepen the connections between people who are related to each other or who are friends by one means or another so that you might then become reacquainted and hear quite a lot from or about people that you care about but you never see. I think there's some good in it is what I'm saying but I don't think we're there yet. John, your example of Facebook is really good because Facebook is there to help us understand what's going on in the daily lives of our friends, right? And so when somebody makes a new recipe and shares it, how good or bad it came out, these are the details that really help us understand what this person values and what he or she gets pleasure from and so on. But we all have had the experience of getting an inquiry from somebody we went to elementary school and haven't thought of since then. And to the extent that technology or life generally causes us to be distracted from the things that really matter, and this, of course, is central to the family, it's not working for us. It's working against us. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the next task is to say, no, 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 that's not what we want. And here's what we do want. And the sense that I have is that we need to find a new balance. We need to take a lot of the things that are challenging us right now and talk about them. For example, family dinner, not only have it, but then have it be undistracted by business calls, text messages, television, and all that. And that's doable. Even if everyone's eating carryout food and leftovers, you can bring it to the same table And you can make sure that there's some kind of quality family time there. And it should not be hard to do that because it's great. It's awesome, as my kids would say. Uh, Although they sometimes want to escape. So that's another matter. But that's what teenagers are about. What about little children? Micah, you have a very young daughter. Is she using technology yet? Oh, absolutely. In fact, my daughter is now six and a half. And she has for several years been using computers and iPads and iPhones and the like. It is a problem. Uh, We're not getting our chores done. We're not making our bed and getting dressed in the morning because instead we want to play with the the technology. And so, uh, frankly, I don't think this is any different from what parents have dealt with for generations, which is teaching kids to prioritize and so on. Uh, But absolutely, she understands technology and she uses it. And We try to find ways that it can be used in a positive way, you know, educational as well as entertainment. And I'm a big believer in having fun. 
pure and simple. So I don't mind the machines being used in that way, but it is a distraction for her. How do you think families can best prepare for all these things that we're seeing the edge of and we know are coming? Well, let me step back and say that we've talked a little bit already about how technology is changing the family. But of course, the family is being changed in fundamental ways in so many other areas that have little or uh, relatively little to do with technology. When we think about the growth of single-parent families by choice. Of course, there have been single-parent families uh, for, oh, a few thousand years. <laughs> uh, but there are an increasing number of people. They come to our firm and they, they talk to us and say, I want to have a child. And I don't have a spouse, but I don't really care. Or I've waited long enough, or whatever the case may be. So families where there are single parents, uh, grand parent-led families, multi-generational families uh, have enjoyed a little bit of a rebirth, which I think is a very positive thing. And, of course, gay and lesbian families and family groups where, whether because of something unfortunate like a parental divorce or whether it's a more deliberately planned, there are many parents raising one or more children. So there's so many changes that are affecting families beyond or in addition to technology that when we think about the future of the family, we have to pay attention to all of these dynamics. You hate for a country to have to have a war to learn something new, but we've seen the uh, capability of technology to allow a parent who's, say, in Afghanistan or Iraq to have family time with children and spouses that are in the U.S. And that isn't the way we wish things were, but that is uh, pretty remarkable for what they end up achieving. Putting the technology to the use that is an ancient thing for families to be together somehow. So what I think is behind all that and how we face change as families is going to be best served if we understand what we really care about, what's at the core of what family means, and we make sure we don't screw that up. Probably we talk then about starting with a conversation. And I like to see people assert their family's set of shared values. It's traditions, values, rituals. And that doesn't have to go away because of technology. If you're interacting remotely, you tell the same jokes. You know, you relate the same way or try to. So I'd like to see, as we face an awful lot of change and more coming, that we look to the core of what the family ought to be about and work on that and try to strengthen that. We'll take a short break now and be right back to finish our discussion about the future of the family. Parents' Perspective needs you, your feedback, your opinions, and not least, your donations that help with the cost of producing this award-winning program. Visit us online at www.parentsperspective.org and click on to give direct I give, or eBay at Mission Fish. Please help us continue to help you. Thank you. Welcome back to Parents Perspective. We're talking with Micah Saub and John Mahaffey about the future of the family. In all these different kinds of families that Micah brought up and the different effects that you're talking about, John, how do you think multi-generational living arrangements would affect child-rearing? They seem to be coming back. Yeah, I was going to say there's sort of a chicken-and-egg question about is the family changing or are things changing the family? Well, either way, we have this change. 
there is some reason to think it's nice that multi-generational families are perhaps re-emerging. But part of what that is about are the realities of current life, economics being a key one, many, many different things that disrupt and change families that lead to a different mix of people being the family, which might be a, a grandparent and some grandchildren, for example. Or it might be the baby boomers are in the thick of right now of figuring out how to take care of their parents. And so one of the solutions is that mom or dad or both move to their home. So we have all of a sudden an intergenerational family that we weren't necessarily planning on. But one way or another, these things are emerging, re-emerging, becoming standard arrangement. And I think, again, we need to go back to that thing about, you know, is having mom here just a nuisance or is it wonderful? Let it be wonderful. Find out why you should be glad. Find out how to get the most out of that and make it, you know, not just okay, not just workable, but make it magical. And I think we can do that if we allow ourselves to, if we step back and say, and this is true of almost everything in our daily lives, quit fussing and get on with things, you know, relax into it, find a way to make it work and make it joyful. And I think people can do that. I just think that they get so sort of seized up in every way with all the demands and pressures that everything's taken as a problem instead of as an opportunity. I'd like to highlight two major, I think, positive results of multi-generational families. One is that it simply brings more perspective, uh, a diversity of views to the family group. Mom is way too strict with the kids. Dad lets things ride. Maybe grandma does a better job at bringing balance. Maybe grandma's very strict. Mom and dad, not as much so. Now, it's not just as it relates to discipline that this diversity of views applies. You can see how it would apply to all sorts of things. Uh, Mom and dad may have more conservative views. Grandma and grandpa may be uh, retired hippies. It brings in a lot of different perspective. And I think that when you've got that diversity of perspective right there in the home, not out there in the big world, it is much harder to cabinet away. It is much harder to marginalize the different perspective. And I think it will really help children as they grow up to be better at synthesizing different views, at understanding different people. They don't have to accept different views, but they do have to recognize that they live in a world with a lot of different views. And that brings me to the second major benefit that I'm thinking of when it relates to multi-generational families. And we can think of the Hebrew phrase, Lador Vador, from generation to generation. And especially as John scares us with all this talk about technology, (laughs) we can get some of the grounding influence that we get from previous generations and from the ties to other people and other times. In all this, we're now sort of coming down to the children as the products of this new and changing world. How do you guys see this new crop of children as different from the old crop that we perhaps were? (laughs) An awful lot of things are going on that make us more aware of child development and people development generally. And I think in that, there's some chance that we will be at least more aware that what we do matters, right down to the children themselves being more aware. My sons, both sons that went to different middle schools, have been taught about brain development, their brain development. 
And they, it's quite fun because they use it as an excuse. Like, well, you know, my frontal lobe's not fully developed. So I can't be expected <laughs> to remember right. my lunchbox. You know. But that wave of advance in learning and understanding is part of this picture so that maybe there's some hope that more of us will at least bring it to the front of mind to say, you know, let's get this right. Let's nurture these children. Let's really nurture them and in the best ways we know how. So let's focus on family and children and the good things in that. So I'm going to no, no longer let Micah accuse me of scaring people <laughs> or being somehow uh, a doomsaying futurist. And I think there's a lot of hope in all that. And that's interesting to hear you say. Uh, I always thought doomsaying futurist was redundant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be a little contrarian and refuse to answer your question in the sense that it seems to me that children are the same. Sure, technology affects us and we're affected by technology in a lot of different ways. But we still have the same lines from our kids. (laughs) I'm bored because you won't let me watch TV. I'm bored because you won't let me play on the computer, right? I'm bored because I can't text message. The venue may be a little different. The toys may be a little bit different. But children in particular are doing the same things that they've always done. Now, there are some important ways that I'm sure people who are a lot smarter than I am would say that I'm wrong. After all, the attention that we pay to these technology devices is, I think, changing fundamentally how we think. An easy way that a lot of people can understand is that we focus on our ability to compute in our minds or to remember things far less now that so much information is literally at our fingertips. So there are ways, of course, that the technology is affecting our brains and and how we think and how we act. But kids, despite these changes, seem to be the same things, the same little creatures that they've always been for so long through history, they were pretty well-defined roles. And you could fall back on that. You could act as a dad or a mom or an uncle or whatever it was based on cultural norms. And you still can, but things have so fuzzed up that you're not automatically handed a here's-how-to-behave role. And so I can channel the stereotypical father, American father, pretty well. But we have to sometimes build our own and decide, how's this family going to be? What does it mean? Especially non-traditional family has to say, you know, the non-traditional family shouldn't try to build itself into a traditional family. It should just try to build itself into a good and strong family. And I think that's what most of them do. But the thing that changes most slowly, I think, in our society are those stereotypes, those cultural norms of what everyone should be doing. They have their strengths, but they come up against some limits when we look at all these changes that are emerging. So we have to allow some of them to be adjusted or rethought. You know, when I think about the changing family, I also think about the ways that families stay the same. And, John, your comment about nontraditional families and, and finding ways to make the family structure work reminds me of the many ways that nontraditional families resemble traditional families. One of the great benefits to having a role in the family is that it can give you the opportunity to participate in the family in the way that reflects your strength and your desires and thereby strengthen the family. Now, it's obviously, maybe not obvious to all, but I think it's obvious that roles can 
carry as much of a burden as a positive. But when we look at same-sex couples, so often we see that there becomes over time a migration so that one parent is doing a lot of the home-based activities and responsibilities, and another parent is taking care of a lot of the work that is done outside of the home, whether we mean that quite literally as in taking care of the outside of the house and the yard (laughs) and the painting and taking care of the cleaning and the cooking, or, or whether we mean it in a more metaphorical way. So roles, roles that resemble traditional familial roles, but that are happening in this non-traditional family. If this is happening by choice, if this is happening truly by choice, then I think it's a good thing. Well, this has been a wonderful thing, and we are so (laughs) disappointed to have to close, but the strictures of time are upon us. So before we do, what resources would either of you recommend for listeners who want to pursue some of these issues further? I think that the best way to be prepared for the future is to focus on balance. Balance, which has always been the solution when we're talking about Republicans and Democrats fighting, when we're talking about divorcing couples fighting, when we're talking about married couples fighting or discussing. (laughs) It's always about balance. And when we have so much technology in our lives, when we have so much change in our lives. Maybe we balance that with non-technology, with non-change. If you love to work on computers and play with computers, maybe you learn to sew. Maybe you learn woodworking. You do something else with your hands and with your time, something maybe that's a little bit slower. Use hand tools. Don't use electric tools, right? Find a balance. And I think that we are best prepared for the future, perhaps by looking back and letting what was behind us balance out the front. Well, I think that's terrific, so uh, you're hired. <laughs> well put as a, as a, as a citizen and a, and a family person and, and a futurist. Uh, I think... Just that goes directly with that, I would say that we need to raise these things and bring them in front of our eyes and say, how are we doing? And that's part of balance. You can't balance unless you talk about it and work on it. And so I think working on making our way and talking about it and talking about it as the members of a family is a critical step to take. And I think too many families just don't do that. They just muddle along. And I think we can do better than just muddling along. Well, we have certainly done wonderfully with you guys as a help. So this has been a terrific conversation. So Micah Salb and John McHaffey, thank you so much for being with us today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. The best way to get in touch with Parents Perspective is to email us at parentsper at gmail.com. Our first listener will receive an autographed copy of our book, Raising a Successful Child, Discover and Nurture Your Child's Talents. Just email us at parentsper at gmail.com and give us your name and snail mail address and mention show number 501. Tell us, if you can, what station you are tuning into. Visit our website, www.parentsperspective.org, where you can even listen to a show of your choice or check us out at facebook.com slash parentsperspective. This is Sandy Bird and Linda Perlis. We're glad you could share Parents Perspective. Today's program was made possible with generous support from Claudia and Jeff Smith and Meredith Wellington. 
Our sound engineer is Kent Hitchcock. Music for this program was composed and performed by Jonathan Burt. <laughs>